Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who's covered the New York Rangers, New York Islanders, and New Jersey Devils for multiple publications since the beginning of the 2016-2017 NHL season. Along the way, he's covered the New York Rangers 2016-17 playoff run against Montreal and Ottawa. The Rangers rode to the 2018 NHL Winter Classic, the 2018 Winter Classic, retirement ceremonies of John Rattel, Vic Hadfield, the introduction of David Quinn as the 35th coach in Rangers history, the Devils' 2017-18 run, the Islanders' 2018-19 run, as well as numerous other events involving each of the three teams. Among the publications he's written for are msgnetworks.com, The Fishley Report, New York Extra, New York Sports Day, and The Hockey News Magazine. He's the author of four books. The latest is entitled Voices of the NHL. It is always a pleasure to welcome back the host of 365sportscast.com's Outside the Studio, Matt Blitner to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Matty. Welcome. Thanks for having me. And boy, that sounds like a mouthful of an introduction. (laughs) <laughs> so Voices of the NHL is an interesting book. I have to commend you on the job you did as you interviewed at least one current uh, as of the 2021 NHL season broadcast from each of the active franchises, as well as from three of the major networks that cover the National Hockey League as well. How did the project come about and when did you start working on this? So it was my longest project. Uh, I, it took me basically an entire year from start to finish. and. It came about, so during the, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, I started doing an Instagram live sports talk show that I named Outside the Studio. And a lot of my guests ended up being broadcasters from around the National Hockey League. Most of them who I already knew or had some sort of prior relationship with, a couple who I didn't know, but who were kind enough to come on anyway. And at the end of that, I said to myself, you know, there's so many great stories about these people's careers. It's, and it's not too far off from what I did with my first three books, Rangers, Islanders, and Devils, in regards to their writers, broadcasters, PR people, players, and all that. So I decided to shine a light on the broadcasters who fans listen to on a nightly basis and not necessarily focus on the games that they call, but focus on them, how they got to where they are today. Because... Fans, you always hear them talk about, well, you know, this guy's my favorite broadcaster, or I really like this person's call. You, you see T-shirts, you know, if you walk into Madison Square Garden, you can see fans wearing T-shirts with the likeness of Sam Rosen's face saying it's a power play goal on it. Uh, of course, you know, there are those type of things going around throughout the National Hockey League. So I decided, let's try to do this. I wanted to get every broadcaster, and there's over 300, according to the National mm-hmm. Hockey League's media guide. That quickly did not become feasible as many of the broadcasts do not have contact information listed anywhere. Some don't even have proper contact information listed. So I quickly limited it to at least one from each and every team. Uh, Sorry, Seattle, you hadn't yet played a game when the book came about, so that's why you're not included. 
Uh, and I was lucky enough to be able to get at least one, sometimes two, three or four from every team. So the reason I asked uh, when you started the book is I kind of figured that it, it had to be within the last year, year and a half. So how did COVID impact the project? How, how, what kind of obstacles were put in your way because of COVID and, and not being at the rink, you know, when the visiting teams are in and, and maybe interviewing a guy in between periods or, or in the media lounge before a game? How did COVID impact the, the writing of this book? So for the first time of my four books, not a single interview was done in person. Every single interview was done via phone call, not even via Zoom or Skype or FaceTime, just regular phone call. But, and as much as that's a negative because you don't get to see and play off the people as much, it, you also have some unintended benefits. And that is being able to do a lot of interviews in a given day. There were three days in particular at the start of the project where I did 10, 10, and 9 interviews in each of those three days. So you would not have been able to do that in person at all because you just wouldn't have been able to travel in between all those different places. It's not possible. But to do an hour-long interview by phone, and then as soon as that ends, hop on another phone call, and then another, and another, and another, it allowed me to get the book done and again, it took me a year to get the entire book done. It probably would take even longer, if not for days like that. Interesting. So the structure of each interview is similar, and it makes for a great read. You have their bios, which is also enhanced by the, your interviews with them, um, their hockey idols, and then favorite games and tales away from the rink and, and signature calls. How did you come up with that structure? And as the book is close to 500 pages, were there other questions, you know, part of your questionnaire that you just left out? Oh, there was a lot of stuff I left out. Some off-the-record stuff that uh, could not be uh, put in print. Uh, there was some stuff that was sometimes a little redundant that I had to leave out. There were some things that would have confused some people. Uh, so I tried to make it where it was as clean a read as possible. Just because you never want to confuse your readers. And... You know, along with all that, of course, there were some stories that once you fact check them, you know, it might be off by a bit and it might throw off the entire story. So you don't want to publish something that's wrong or might be wrong. So those are some things that were left out. The structure of it, again, it's similar to my first three books uh, where I did a background uh, and then, of course, a game and a message to the fans. I kept the message to the fans in this book. I really wanted to focus a lot on the signature calls, but as, I, as a baseball fan, I quickly ended up having a joke with each of the broadcasters that they were killing my batting average because I, my, I think I batted, if I remember the number correctly, I think I batted somewhere around 100 uh, in terms of the 52 people who I interviewed. So the very few of them actually admitted to having a signature phrase most of them even went out to say that they went out of their way to make sure that they did not have a signature phrase because they felt it was contrived and fake. So my, it quickly turned into a running joke with a lot of the broadcasters, many of whom were baseball fans and would then ask me what my batting average would be like. And I would pull up the stats for them and they would be like, well, you're going to be even worse now. So, <laughs> you know, you win some, you lose some. 
Very interesting. So you mentioned, you know, in some of them, you have two and three broadcasters. I found it very interesting. I know the Red Wings and Kings were some of that had multiple announcers. But in the Kings case, you included the Spanish TV radio team announcer. Uh, why, why was that? So, again, I wanted to get every broadcaster who works for the teams for every single team. You know, there, there are some teams who only have two or three, you know, due to a simulcast setting. And then there are others who have five or six due to just having, you know, a studio host, a radio host, play-by-play on TV, play-by-play on radio, color analysts, studio analysts. So when I sent out my emails to every single broadcaster, yes, I did send emails to all 300-something broadcasters. I was not going to say, well, you know, this person's the Spanish language or this person's the French language. I'm not going to have them. No, I wanted to get everyone. So it just so happens that the Spanish language broadcaster for the Kings said yes. Francisco H. Rivera was very kind to say yes. And he was a very energetic interview. So I was glad to have him. You know, in the old days, an announcer would become identified with a team. It would be big news when a well-known announcer announced switched allegiances. You know, baseball thing, what happened when Harry Carey switched from the Cardinals to the Cubs. But these days, it's not uncommon for announcers to move around. When you did your interviews, did you find that an announcer you chose for one team's affiliation have to spend more time talking about a previous job? Did you ask them about how changing teams affected them? So there are actually quite a few National Hockey League broadcasters who have moved around. There are very few, like a Sam Rosen, who have not changed teams during the course of their career. Now, many of them may have only been at their you know, previous stop a year or two before moving on to a better situation. But for the most part, they did have previous stops in their careers. And so that was very much something, you know, you look at John Forslund, a longtime voice of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, and he is now the voice of the Seattle Tracking. Again, the Seattle Tracking are not in the book, but when I was doing the interview with him, he'd already been let go by Carolina. So he was only doing games for NBC. A lot of what he talked about was Carolina just because, again, you know, NBC is not necessarily focused on one team. And most of his career had been with the Whalers turns Hurricanes franchise. So you do see a lot of things like that. And just you mentioned Harry Carey. There is a broadcaster in the book. I'm not going to spoil it for the fans out there who does have a Harry Carey story about when they would go out to eat and drink at a restaurant and Carey would tell them no menus. You have to order without the menu. So uh, there's a little bit more to the story, but I'll, so I'll leave fans to read that. But Harry Carey is actually mentioned in the book uh, since you did mention him here. Well, that brings us to like some of my favorite parts of the book. Obviously, here in the tri-state area, we've been blessed with so many great uh, TV voices, radio voices for the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils. Let's start with Donnie Logracker, um, one of the greatest guys in the industry. Um, I loved his After Dark story. Can, can you share that story with our listeners? Sure. So Don Logracker, as many New Yorkers, and probably every New Yorker should know at this point, does the Michael K show uh, Monday to Friday. And so that means he can't travel with the New York Rangers on the team charter like most of the broadcasters do. So that means he then has to, when he's filling in for Kenny Albert on radio, 
he has to then travel on his own to get to wherever the Rangers may be. So the Rangers are north of the border in Canada. He gets into the team hotel late one night, and he's just really hungry, wants to you know, quickly get a bite to eat, and then hit the hay because he's got to be up early, as all broadcasters have to be, to prepare for the game the next day. So he goes into the hotel bar, which is more sort of like a lounge, orders a burger and a beer. Lo and behold, you know, he's sitting there by himself. Uh, you know, again, he's not looking to socialize. He's just looking to have a quick bit of food, a quick drink, and go to bed. All of a sudden, Billy Jaffe walks in, Mike Medano walks in, Wayne Gretzky walks in. All these former NHL greats are walking into the bar. And, of course, you know, a number of them know him, and he knows them. He's been in the industry quite a while. So they're all coming in, and they tell him, you know, come on over. So he's having a beer. He's having some beers and some food with all these guys. And all of a sudden, you know, a solitary meal turns into a gathering with some of the NHL's greatest players. And then as he goes to try to pay for it, you know, goes to try to pay for his own thing, finds out that Gretzky has picked up the tab. Mark, AJ, if you guys were in a bar and Wayne Gretzky came up to you, first of all, and not to say that none of us are professional here, if Wayne Gretzky came up to you guys asking, you know, come join for a beer or something like that, you'd probably trip over yourselves saying yes. And then if you found out that Gretzky paid for you, you might have, you know, you might have a convulsion or something. The fact that, you know, he handled it, you know, Gretzky came in just shows what a great guy Wayne Gretzky is. So it's just a great story that happens. And, you know, fans think, okay, you know, broadcasters live these lives of, you know, they do the games and they travel from place to place, but they also get to enjoy themselves from time to time and stuff like this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting because Don LaGreca grew up a Devils fan and he ended up, you know, being the Rangers announcer right here. Greg Picker grew up an Islander fan, lived and died with that team. And he's the color commentator. And you speak to him a, a bit in the book. How did interviewing the play-by-play guy differ from interviewing a Carlo commentator? So that's a good question. I actually, uh, between the entire book, I probably have not an even split, but maybe like a 60-40 split between play-by-play and uh, Carlo commentators. And you find quickly that with the exception of the Islanders with Dred Picker, most of the color commentators in the book are former players. Dan Wood out of Anaheim is also an exception to that, but most of them are former players. So that's one difference from having the play-by-play versus the taller guys. Now, the taller commentators also, with the exception of Darren Pang, who actually has two of them, taller commentators do not generally have signature phrases because it's not their job to do something like that. Darren Pang, of course, he has his holy jump-in and his, he gave him the nine of hearts which is a playoff of something in a Canadian children's card game that was still very confusing to me even to this day. Um, actually grateful that I have not tried to play that game because I'd probably lose. So Dred Picker getting a chance to do the color commentating, he actually has wanted to do play-by-play, and he's done it a couple of times, filling in for Tris King. But doing the color analyst for a game is not all that different beyond what I just outlined because you still have to see what's going on. You still have to tell your audience what's going on and explain it. So 
play-by-play people, they tell you what's going on, and then the tall commentators delve further into it, but you're still trying to get the same point across. So again, it's really two sides of the same hole. You really wouldn't be able to do a game broadcast without both parts. So that's the interesting thing to it. And Dredge has a great story of having been told by the Islanders PR guy to get up to Boston quickly uh, one night because the radio and TV broadcast things happened where um, he was going to have to fill in on the play-by-play and he hadn't been scheduled to even work that game. So he had to race up from Nassau Coliseum, well, from the area, you know, from Uniondale and race up to Boston and get there in time to do the game. And they didn't even have a hotel room ready for him. He had to share it with some college students who were there on the trip with them. So made for one of those fun stories of, okay, this is happening, and just had to butt up and deal with it. Yeah, we, we limited on time, but we would love to even talk about Matty Lachlan, who you talked about, uh, you know, Devils Hockey. So many big names over the years have been there, but, you know, Matty's been there for about 90% of them. And there's also a great, you know, Springsteen story. But uh, we want to get to some of the other things in the book as well. Yeah, you know, I know, Matt, some readers might be disappointed. They pick up the book and don't see their favorite announcers. And they try to limit it to current announcers. For me, you know, I'd want to see James McDonald, who did the Islanders in their cup years. So how do you respond to readers to say, okay, you know, I love these announcers, but I wish there were other announcers also in the book? Well, to that point, I did in the beginning very briefly, and by very briefly, I do mean for about 10 minutes, think about wanting to have broadcasters past and present. I quickly realized that if I was going to go down that path, I'd be writing this book until I was dead because there's just way too many to do. So I had to then figure out, well, you can't say to the NHL fans, well, I'm only going to have the Islanders' former die and not the Rangers' former die. I'm going to have the Florida Panthers' former die, but I'm not going to have the Dallas Stars' former die. So you're going to get, you're going to insult fan bases, and you don't want to do that. So having just the current broadcasters made it where, you don't have to worry about that. Yes, fans may want to hear from some of the past guys. Unfortunately, they ha- you do have to realize that you don't want to insult or leave anybody out. So you've got to have just the current crop. And of the current crop, obviously, guys like Pat Foley and Sam Rosen are not in the book for various reasons. But you can be happy knowing that your team is involved and you still have at least one of your favorites in there. You know, Sam Rosen notwithstanding, the book is a who's who of voices. Andy Brickley, Daryl Ray, Ken Daniels, Paul Woods, Randy Moeller, Jim Fox, Pete Weber, all of them legends. Um, was there one outside of the local area that you, you knew of, you know, and had a um, appreciation for that just totally blew you away when you spoke to him and why? So I had a lot of great uh, interviews with People, some left me in stitches, absolutely laughing and crying from tears uh, that, you know, crying from laughing that, you know, for stories that Ken Daniels told his story and the stories in the book about going to the ESPN zone in Colorado uh, before going to St. Louis with the team. And he's there with uh, Bowman, you know, because they are getting something to eat. And Bowman wants to see the St. Louis Blues game. 
because they're about to play the Blues. So he wants to do a little advanced scouting. And they're at the ESPN zone, and all the TVs are queued into March Madness. Now, we all here on your show know that March Madness is one of the biggest sporting events in North America, plain and simple. And you're not going to, if you walk into a sports bar during March Madness, you're not going to find anything else on TV. Short of an absolute tragic accident of, you know, the greatest player in history in all sports tragically dying, you are not going to find any other sports-related news on those TVs outside of March Madness. So they're sitting down, and Bowman can't get the St. Louis Blues game on any of the TVs in the ESPN zone, which is frustrating him to no end. And he happens to look up at one of the basketball games and sees that the score is 5-2. to two. Now, we know here that 5-2 to two in basketball means the game started about three seconds ago. Bowman, whether he was playing to it or legitimately didn't realize it, starts going on a swear-filled rant about you know, about the game, figuring that it's over because the game's 5-2 to the score. And Daniels is completely perplexed about, you know, why, why is he ranting about this? And Bowman keeps pointing to the TV, you know, saying that it's 5-2, to the game's over. Daniels looks at him, he's like, 5-2? He's like, he's like, give it 10 seconds. He's like, it'll be 30 to 20. He's like, it's the, this is not the end of the game, believe me. He's like, the farm score's going to be like 90 to 80. He's like, this is, <laughs> this is nowhere close to the end of the game. So stories like that, when you hear along with the swear-filled rant that Bowman was giving, it, it can leave you hysterical laughing, especially with the way Daniels delivered it. So did you find any difference, Matt, between the radio and television guys or between the professional announcers and the former players, generally how they told stories and what they, what they talked about? So between radio and TV, not too much. Uh, when I would, the only difference really would be when I would ask about their style and radio guys would feel they had to be more descriptive because radio is not a visual medium. So they have to, you know, do something in order to let their fans know exactly what's going on, where TV broadcasters have the luxury of having a visual so they can maybe get away with maybe telling a little bit more stories and not have to necessarily be on the puck at all times. Ver Meanwhile, the broadcasters who never played versus the former players, my notice, my first notice there was the former players generally did not give all that long of interviews. It's something that I, to me, it's probably something about them being, you know, former players and during their playing days, they probably didn't like talking to the media all that long. So they didn't like giving long interviews then and they still don't like giving long interviews. Uh, whether that's true or not, I didn't accuse any of them of it, and I'm not going to accuse any of them of it now, but you can see the logic behind it. Uh, some of them, you know, might have been a little bit more guarded, the former players, and some of the details that they would give out. Again, probably going back to somewhat of the distrust or the dislike of the media from their playing days. The people who never played and who were just broadcasters throughout, they were definitely a lot looser with uh, certain information and the way that they spoke and the way that they told certain stories. Uh, you would just never hear player, former players tell st certain stories the way that the non-playing broadcasters did. So that would be the main difference there.
Maddie, where's the best place for people to get this great new book? The only place is Amazon.com. You can search the name of the book, Voices of the NHL. You can search my name, Matthew Blitner. You can go to my Twitter account, which is at Matthew Blitner. The link is right there in the bio. Or if you're one of the lucky people or not, I shouldn't say lucky. I'm lucky to have this many people on my Facebook. I think I'm over 1,700 people at the moment, most of whom I've probably never even met or spoken to. Uh, you can see me posting about it all the time. And those are your ways that you can go about getting the book. Awesome, Maddie. Thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for another, yet another great book.